Hi, my name is Michelle, and tonight's reading will come from Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered it with watery depths as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows where to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you made, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirits, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God.
Uh, indeed, uh, may the meditation of my heart, the words that I speak, Heavenly Father, be pleasing to you uh, and be used by you to build your church up for your glory. Amen. I thought we might start um, with a couple of examples that you, can, you might be able to think of, uh, of how Jesus used nature to teach truth about God. Uh, so let's do this together. What are some examples that you can think of where Jesus uses nature to teach truths about God? Chloe, you look, you're smiling. <laughs> Maybe I won't pick on you, you've done your part. All right, someone else. Anyone? What? Mountains? Can you elaborate? How did Jesus use mountain to teach truth about God? Okay, he's quoting that uh, the Matthew passage is quoting Isaiah. Okay, so I was thinking more about you know more specifically Jesus either use examples of nature or uh, uh, Jen. Okay, he uses the sea to teach. Okay. Juliet, right at the back, and then Lucy, I think. Is that Lucy? Sorry, I just, yeah. Yes, that's right, yep. So do, Jesus says, do not worry in Matthew 6. Uh, look at the lilies of the field. They don't spin, they don't, you know, they don't sow, and yet God provided. Yep. Very good, yep. Yeah, my father is the gardener. What else? A couple more? Very good. The mustard seed. All right. It's your favorite small as a mustard seed. There are some more. I think there are a couple. What about the top? Yes. The soil. The parable of the sower. Okay. Great. Well done. All right. So, you know, Matthew 6, do not worry. Luke 12, you know, look at the ravens. Uh, you know, the hairs on your heads are numbered. All right. God, God will look after you. Jesus coming the storm, claiming, you know, that he is God. Peter walking on the water. Jesus cursing of the fig tree. Do you remember that one? He was kind of on its way to the temple. And then he looked, he walked up to this tree and there was nothing. He went, die. <laughs> no, Jesus, you know, that was symbolic of judgment, all right? It was a picture of Jerusalem at that point in time. Jerusalem was meant to bear fruits for God, and yet, you know, it was fruitless, and here is Jesus coming to judge. Uh, and of course, finally, the vine and the branches. So we're thinking about nature. We're thinking about God's creation. I tell you what this sermon is not about, right? I know there's a conversation out there that when we look at creation, we look at the pattern, the beauty, there is a sense that there must be in one sense, a creator, a designer. That's the word that the conversation is, uh, that's the word used in the debate at the moment. Should there be, just because there, there looks like there's intelligent design, do we necessarily need an intelligent designer? Okay, so I'm not going to enter into debate. My brief comment was, yeah, keep an open mind. All right? If you keep an open mind, then maybe there is an intelligent designer. Uh, but what we don't know when we look at nature is we don't really know much about this designer. Uh, and it, we run into difficulty, of course, when we kind of come into creation, uh, and creation shows this, right? There's destruction. What, what do you do with earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanoes, right? If you look, if our concept of God comes from nature, then what can we say about God, right? 
Is he kind? Is he unkind? Right? Those are the difficulties uh, that the insurance agent will call these things the acts of God. Right? Things that are beyond our control. In the 19th century, uh, in order to protect God, right, in order to kind of absorb God of the suffering in this world, uh, some people came up with this idea that God was a watch, like a watchmaker. In other words, God created this world, you know, there's pattern, there's design, intelligent design. He kind of wound it up and then he just went away. Right? So everything that happens in the world, all the bad things, all right, you can't blame God, that's kind of evolution, whatever. But there is a God. He, he's just kind of not, you know, not connected there in that sense. The official word for this is deism, right? You may, may have heard this before. But really, there is that separation, right, between the God who is kind of intimately in our world and the God who is absent, right? And in deism, there is an absent God. I would say, you know, if, we, if all that we have is nature, right, no Bible, no special revelation, no prophets, that we, we probably could say things like, yeah, there is probably a powerful being, Force, if you want to kind of use the style Wars uh, analogy, uh, that could be an intelligent design. Don't know. You know, it could be random, right? But sounds uh, quite possible. Maybe there is a designer. Uh, you can't tell whether there is one god or many gods. For some people in some parts of the world, nature itself is god. There is the river is god, the tree is god, the rocks god. Right, how, how can you tell? Right? What, what's the difference? More importantly, as we look at the forces of nature, we ask the question, is God, depend is God dependable? Or is he capricious? Right? He changes his mind. If you forget to worship him or offer the right offering, he punishes you, right? sends you all this misfortune. And I, I, there are people who still believe that, that that's what God does. Right? God is the God who brings disasters. For most people, and that my focus for this sermon really is for what most people want to know at the end of the day when we talk about God uh, is that in the end, does God care? Sure, you can debate about the, 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 the creation, the design, the designer, but you know, at the end of the day, we want to know if there is a God, does he care? Does he care that my child is on the spectrum? Does he care that my child has learning difficulties, being bullied in school? Does he care that my wife is dying, degenerating? Does he care that I'm having relationship difficulties with my bosses? You know, that, does, you know it, it, does this God care? The answer from the Bible is he does. And through nature, right? This is how Jesus does it, right? Jesus does it in a way that says, you know, Jesus uses the argument of how much more, right? That, that's the language that Jesus used. So have a look at Matthew six twenty-eight, for example. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, that the lilies of the field? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God closes the grass of the field, which is so transient, right? Here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? All right. So God does care. 
Uh, and when we look at creation, that's how we know. Jesus used that logic. God cares for the birds, the little things in this world, then he cares for you so much more. And so as we kind of engage in this series, right, where we're talking this neighborhood series, uh, we go out there and we talk to our neighbors, then nature or creation itself is a medium. Right? It's, it's, part, it's something that we share with our non-Christian neighbors, uh, the beauty in creation. And we can use it to say God cares, uh, especially through, through our interests and through our conversation with them. So Psalm 104 you know, essentially shows us that God is a caring creator. Verse 24, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them, uh, you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. God is that caring uh, creator. If you go through that psalm from the beginning, you see this cosmic power that God has as he brings the skies together, lays the earth on its foundation. What is distinct in the Bible's account of creation is that God is not creation. God is separate from creation. God's not in the rocks, not in the river, not in the sea. He's outside of that. He creates them. He puts them in order. Okay, this is this really, really important. Therefore, we do not worship creation. That's wrong. That's idolatry. God is also a wise creator, right? So we, we see in verse um, 24 that he's, you know, in wisdom God made the world. Uh, and there are other parts of the Bible that says more or less the same thing. Proverbs 3, by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundation. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the watery depths were divided. The clouds let drop their dew. The world is orderly because of God's wisdom. God designed it. God continues to sustain it. Um, God is that wise creator. We know it because the Bible shows us that. The Bible itself is God's wisdom. Right, together with creation and the Bible, we can actually have a very meaningful conversation about this creator. We know that he is the one creator God. We know that creation is purposeful uh, and, and that is not random. And that when we put our trust in this creator, then there is meaning and purpose in life. And so right at the beginning, we can have one simple application when we understand that. Right, because God is a God of uh, a wise God, a God of beauty, a God who created all the cultures in our world. We, we can go out there and enjoy it. Uh, creation, you know, we can have conversations about nature, about beauty. The concept of beauty is from God. Art, uh, and by extension, all kinds of culture, music. Uh, those are part of God's beautiful creation for the entire world. And so those are bridges that we can bridge with our neighbors. And I encourage people to pursue that. Right? It's not the gospel, yes, but it is pre-gospel. Uh, it shows us what, where we've come from, maybe what went wrong, and how we can get back to that. But creation, cre creation care is currently a hot topic uh, among many people in our world. Part of the discussion that we have politically is what is Australia going to do? 
How are we going to do it? How are we going to reduce our carbon emission? The complex issue here, but it is important. And as Christians, we can partake, we can participate in that conversation. I just want to flag that uh, the Boys Brigade, you know, is, is going to do that. Um, on the 6th of March, they've organized a Clean Up Australia Day. Uh, and there's a couple of people from our church that will be involved in that. Go and talk to them. Talk to the people who are in brigades. It would be very good if we could be, do it together as a church and encourage them. But that's how we, we as Christians can participate in that conversation. Uh, and so that's an important one. So God is, God is the caring creator, uh, but he's not, he's not a God who is absent. Right? This idea that God just kind of wind up the clock, walked away, doesn't, is not in the Bible. Because right? especially in Psalm 104, we, we see how God is intimately connected with the care of creation itself. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Uh, and so that, that picture that we see in, uh, from scriptures about God is that God continues to sustain creation. Uh, someone once said that, you know, the earth is... Um, you know, continues to spin and rotate because God wills it to. Your very next breath and by my very next breath is sustained by God. That's a God, that's how much God cares for us. God cares for his creation. And of course, when, when we start thinking like that, you know, well, okay, well, the lions are looking for their prey, but isn't that bloody and there's death and things like that? Doesn't the world tell us that it is a strong, you know, preying on the weak? How do we account for that? Maybe we start leaning towards the idea that the world is not as it should be. That's not the way God designed the world. Something went wrong. Someone went wrong. And if we're honest, that's us, isn't it? We've got to take responsibility for that. But we start that conversation there. Uh, God continues to, to be that carer, but things are not right. God is going to put it right soon. Jesus uses, again, Jesus used nature to teach about what's going on, right? So God continues to sustain creation, and that's why we know God cares for us. Uh, Luke 12, 4 to 7, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies. They're worth, in other words, these are just... They're not worth very much. But God cares for them. How much more will God cares for you and for me? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God knows what you're going through. More importantly, God cares about what you're going through. Not always good news, isn't it? Even as we kind of start thinking about what's happening in nature, what the Word of God tells us, you know, it tells us that, you know, God's judgment is there. Something's not right in our world. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 29 to 30 starts to hint at that, right? When you hide your face, they are terrified. These creatures, this, this creation, uh, the creatures that are created by God, creation itself is terrified. When you turn away from their breath, when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. But when God sends his spirit, right, the Genesis account, 
they, they continue, this new life comes again. Uh, but death itself is a sign that, you know, something is not right in God's world. And we know death comes from sin, from rebellion and disobe- uh, disobedience to the Creator God. So somewhere uh, in our history, people who were created by God for relationship with Him, to worship and honor Him, pushed Him away and turned and worshiped creatures instead. So the words of Paul says, we exchange the glory of God for images looks like men, women, and, and all the other creations. We put ourselves in God's place. And we tell God, let, let me rule the world. You just go away. And that's where we start to have a problem. The argument that God you know, created a good world, why is there suffering? There is a middle part that is important. Because God gave us free choice. It, was, it is also God, part of God's will. Therefore, a good God who created a creation with a free choice uh, gives us the consequences of our actions as a result of pushing God away. Uh, we, then we have this Jesus, again, Jesus understood all of that, right? So nature is is what Jesus used to teach this lesson. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. This tree was meant to be fruiting. Um, But because it wasn't, and to teach a lesson, Jesus cursed that tree. You shall never bear, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did a fig tree wither so quickly? If you look into that context there, they were, just in, they were in Jerusalem. Jesus was about to go to the cross. He come to the, the very apex, or the very center of God's purpose on earth, Jerusalem, God's temple. And here was supposed to be fruits and life, salt and light. And there was only death and decay and pride and religion. So there was a lesson there. I want to finish with where the psalmist finish when it comes to all of this reflection, right? Here is, just imagine the psalmist went out for a walk, right? Um, he reflected on what he saw, what he knew about God, about creation. And where does he finish? He finishes with worship. He comes back to, you know, a worship. God, perhaps in a temple. I will sing to the Lord all my life. We can't sing yet, but one day we will. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. There's a recognition that his life comes from God, that God is the source. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul, praise the Lord. The psalmist knows that there will be a time when God is going to judge the world, when he makes all things new. And that's the time, that's the hope of the psalmist. Not in nature, not in scientists, but in Jesus. Because Jesus is the one in the end whom God sends to renew this entire world, including us. Let's pray.
what a privilege we have because of uh, your word that we gain your wisdom, O oh God. Uh, we know and understand because you teach us. Uh, but we know that there are people out there who don't have your word. They, they only have what they see in nature and they use what they can to figure things out for themselves. But we know that that is not enough, Lord. Uh, and so as we go out there, as we enjoy beauty, the beauty of creation, as we interact with our neighbors, uh, help us to celebrate things that are worth celebrating. Our culture, friendship, love, kindness, goodness. But at the same time, help us to use us to be the instrument, Father God. Help us to realize that the world is not well. And when we encounter death, suffering, and, and, and guilt, and shame, and brokenness, then help us to point to Jesus as the one who can make all things new. And we ask this in his name. Amen.